Whatever Tommy had this morning, I'll take two of, please. Dude, you got a little bit of... Giddy up in your step. I like it. I like it. I need a little bit of giddy up in my step this morning. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Um, it has been an eventful morning at the Gerard household. Um, Dalton is with me. Colton is at the emergency room getting an arm cast on right now. Joys, joys of kids. Um, and I got here and I started typing in all my stuff on the computer. And you know what I realized? I left my notes at home. So I don't know what y'all are getting this morning. I really don't. I, I grabbed a couple of blank pieces of paper, wrote down a couple of things to keep my mind on track as much as possible because it is hard to stay in track in this thing. But we're going to be starting a new series this week from the book of Colossians. We're actually going to go through the book of Colossians extremely fast, probably in about four weeks. And I know some people would say, well, that's not really digging into it. But at the same time, my purpose is not to dig deep into it. My purpose is to draw attention to not only what the writer is saying, but also to the season that we are getting ready to enter. As we were coming back, it is so good to be back with y'all, especially being back in the pulpit. Um, but as we were coming back from the Outer Banks, we drove back through Franklin Mountain. And, you know, you think the lease are beautiful here? Oh my gosh. When we were coming through Franklin Mountain, I, I was a tourist. I'll be honest with you. Look at that leaf. Look at that leaf. It was absolutely beautiful. Even going over, it was beautiful, but it was more so going over. And as I'm sitting there, I'm just looking, trying to drive and look at the same time. Um, I'm just admiring the beauty of it. And my, a thought came to my mind. And I thought to myself, this is just a small piece of heaven. But as soon as I said that, just as quick as I said that, something hit me real quick. You ain't got no idea of the glory of heaven. And you know, on a daily basis, we're, we dangerously, innocently compare the things of God to the things of this world. And we've got to be careful in that. Because when we compare the things of God to the things of this world, and I know he created it all, but still, when you compare his glory, his uncorruptness, his majesty to anything of the world, what we are doing is we are actually minimizing who God is. And this is exactly what was about to start taking place in the church of Colossia. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, you got to understand this. Paul did not start the Colossian church. Paul, one of Paul's uh, helpers by the name of Epaphus is probably the, one of the team members that helped start this church. But Colossiae was a strong church. But because of its location, because of its location, it was influenced by cultural, social, and even religious currents of that time. Matter of fact, later on when we get into it, Think we'll start, or think we'll get into that part next week. You're going to hear about another church that many of us, if you've spent a lot of time in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, a church that all of us are familiar with, the church of Laodicea, which was actually only about 15 miles away from Colossae. But at the same point, comparisons were being made between the church and the world. And this was the main purpose of Paul writing to this church. We have to be careful. 
We have to be careful in comparing anything to the infallible, uncorrupted glory of God because like I said at the beginning, when we do, we minimize it. We minimize God and everything that he is. And when we minimize God, this is what I've started noticing in my life. When I minimize the things that God has done in my life and I take credit for them or I let something else in this world take credit for them, you know what I start to lose for God? Gratitude. And as we're moving into this season of Thanksgiving, there's a couple of things today, not going to be very long today. We've got a business meeting here in a little bit, not going to be very long today, but there are some things that we've really got to draw out about why we should be forever grateful for God for all that he continues to do for us. And in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse nine, I'm backing it up a little bit. Sorry, Tommy, I'm backing it up and expanding it a little bit from where I originally told you. This is what Paul says to the church of the Colossians. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding <coughs> so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious mights for the attaining of the steadfastness and patience and joyously, joyously giving thanks to God who has qualified us to share in an inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into a kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's very important. And through him to reconcile all of, sorry, for it was the father's good pleasure for all of the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfastness and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, was made a minister. Pray with me. Father, this morning... As we take a few minutes to dig into this word, 
about exactly what it is that you have done for us and what you are continuing to do in us. I just pray, God, that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds on all the glory that is you. Father, it is so easy for us to draw comparisons. It's so easy for us to even make other things more important to you. But Father, just like this scripture says, you were before all. You are before all. And we know that that's not only a matter of eternal aspect. That's a matter of you being the supremacy of our life. Father, as we move into this season to where we express thanksgiving for the things that have taken place this year and in our life, I pray that you would guide our hearts to where all good gifts come from. It is through you. It is through your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind to understand what this word has for us this very morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul is very direct when he's writing to these people because he knows that there is danger in this comparison game. And all of us get caught up in it. I get caught up in it in my own life. We get caught up in it in church world. We get caught up with it and everything else. But when we start comparing the things that God has done and giving, those, giving credit to the things that people have done to us, for us, we are missing a huge mark in who really provides all for us. And the first thing he does is he wants to remind us of a couple of things. He wants us to remember the unity of God and man. The unity of God and man. At the end, he reminds us that we were once alienated, that we were once far away from him, that we were once completely separated from him. But yet now, because of what he has done, we have an inheritance. And you know, we think about this inheritance a lot. Inheritance is something that's even brought up a lot today. When one of our loved ones leaves this earth, often an inheritance is left behind. An inheritance is left behind to the family members, to the children, even sometimes to the grandchildren. I know Daniel rewrote my mom's will recently, and I'm pretty sure that me, Steve, and Sonia have been completely written out of mom's will since Colton and Dalton come in. I am about positive that everything goes to them. Gonna get that new car, buddy. That's all I am tell you. Unless Grammy spends it all. I can't help it if Grammy spends it all, though. But we have this inheritance coming to us. And in that moment that I'm driving through Franklin Mountain, that reminder of that inheritance comes to my mind. As I'm looking at the beauty of what this world has, it doesn't even compare to what we will get. And you know, it's hard for us to understand that because, again, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about us understanding perfection. But when we look at it from the aspect of what we deal with on this earth, it makes this point a lot more welcome to us. I want you to think about it. 
This week for me has been one of those weeks where I've just been throwing my hands up saying, God, what next? God, what next? You know what I mean? It's just one of the first. Jennifer started barking like a seal. <laughs> no, not like that, but coughing. Coughing her head off. And I mean, it kept us up all night. Then they put her on steroids. They got her on 40 milligrams of steroids right now. So she can honestly thread a sewing machine when it's running wide open. I laid down in bed last night. I said, what's wrong, baby? She said, I'm tired. I said, go to sleep. She said, I can't. She is beyond that point of frustration. And um, when mama suffers, we all suffer. Um, Bless her hearts. But then even yesterday, we were, get, we, were going, we were planning on going to the wedding yesterday and Jennifer's cough come back with vengeance yesterday and um, hated, that I got, hated that we missed Madeline's wedding yesterday. So thankful for what's already taken place in their life. But Colton and Dalton are outside playing and I'm in the bedroom and I'm gonna be honest with you, I was trying to catch a few minutes of sleep and I hear this gut-curdling scream just resonate through the house and they were outside. That's how loud it was. And you know, when your kid screams in a certain way, you know it's different. Am I wrong, Brooke? When, you know, when your kid screams in a certain way, you know, okay, that wasn't playful. That, that had nothing to do with G.I. Joe or them pitching a fit. That was something serious. So I get up, I run downstairs, and I see Colton holding his arm. And I said, what's wrong, buddy? It hurts. I said, what's wrong, buddy? It hurts. I said, what happened, buddy? It hurts. That's all he could say. So I'm sitting there. I'm moving it, feeling it, looking at it. And I said, okay, I don't think there's anything broke. But let's just keep an eye on it to make sure. So have you ever tried keeping an eight-year-old immobilized? Oh, my dear Lord. Even in his sleep, these are the wildest sleeping kids I've ever seen before in my life. You'll wake up with a black eye if you sleep with them, I promise you. But last night, I lay down and I'm just like, God, what next? What next? Even over the last couple of weeks, with everything that we've seen with sickness, with corruption, with another mass shooting, with the fear and the hurt that we have. We constantly have those moments to where we're asking God, what next? And a dangerous thing happens when these moments creep in. Because it's in these moments that we often tend to start looking for help in other locations. For some people, they try to medicate these situations. To the best of their ability, they try to medicate them. For some of us, we have little escapisms that I call them. Little hobbies or things that we do just to completely clear our mind. For some of us, we want to run to the government officials or run to our family members. But we've got to remember that we have one true source of help who is always there. And then one of the most beautiful things that he promises us is one, he will never leave us or forsake his, us. But the other thing is, is that we will be with him one day. There will be no sickness. 
There'll be no need for prednisone, praise Jesus. There will be no more broke arms. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more fear. There will be no hurt, no pain. There will be no more tears. We get an inheritance that nothing on this world can compare to. Nothing. Are you thankful for that this morning? Are you thankful just for the fact of knowing that this is not the end? The next words he uses there, in verse 13, he starts talking about how we are rescued. We have been rescued. And that's a huge word. Because you know what a rescue involves on your part? Very little. Very little. Very little. To be rescued from a situation, the only thing that you have to be is willing to be rescued. There's a joke that goes around, been going around for quite some time about a lady who was standing on her roof after a hurricane come in and floodwaters come up. And she sat there and she prayed, God, will you just please send me some help? And a boat comes along and the gentleman says, hey, lady, we're here to get you off the roof. She says, no, God's going to help me. He's got this. A few minutes later, a helicopter starts hovering over her roof. They scream down, we're sending down a basket. Get in the basket. We're going to take you away. The lady says, no, God's going to help me. He's got this. Go on. The floodwaters continue to rise and the lady drowns. She gets to heaven. The first thing she wants to do is ask God, God, why didn't you help me? God looks at her and says, I sent a boat and a helicopter. You weren't willing to get in there. I don't know what else I can do to help you. But that is the way it is with us. God uses other people to rescue us a lot of times. But we've got to realize that all of our rescue comes from God. He is our Savior. He has saved us from the darkness of which we live in. And it says there that he's even brought us into light. And that light that he's brought us into is the hope that we have in him. You see, that inheritance, it is a small part of the hope that we have. That inheritance of one day having heaven, that's great. But the biggest part of that hope is that one day we will stand face to face with him and he's going to look at us and he's going to be saying words that we have been waiting to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to my rest. And see, this brings up another point of what he says there. Because he says that we are redeemed. You know what? the best way that I can summarize what being redeemed means, he makes you good enough. How many of you struggle with that? How many of you struggle with that on a daily basis? When I was a kid, man, I always struggled with being good enough in school. Not at schoolwork, I didn't care about that. My school life was about social life. That was it. And it's still that way today, I know. 
But even in our school life, we struggle with the social aspect of being good enough. There isn't a single person in here that in some way, shape, or form, you didn't just want to fit in. You know what I mean? You wanted to be accepted. You wanted to feel like you were good enough for who you were to be accepted as who you were. That's the same redemption that God gives us. We are good enough. In sports, it was the same way. I was not the most athletic person. Everybody, everybody was, with your height, you must have played basketball. I hate basketball. I never played basketball. They called me a couple of weeks ago and said, we need somebody to help coach basketball. Are you in? And I'm like, I know this much about basketball. I know the ball goes in the hoop and you're supposed to dribble it the whole time, but that's it. That's it. That's all I know. But even in baseball and football, I still always struggle with that part of wanting to be good enough. It's one of the blessings that I have is I get to see one of my coaches and know it was not Ricky Tanner that I'm going to talk about this morning. It was a man by the name of Ivan Walker. Most of y'all know him. He's a real estate agent in the area now. Um, Ivan has been a part of this community for a long time. But Ivan, Ivan was my defensive coordinator. And Ivan was just such an encouragement to me as a young man who would always push me, you're good enough. You can do this. Just get in there and do it. And you know what? We still need that today. Even in our life as Christians, we need that constant encouragement. Ricky, not that you were a bad coach. Yours was more screaming than it was encouragement, but just being real. Amen. You pushed us. We loved you a little. We didn't like you much, but we loved you. But honestly, we need that constant encouragement of telling us that yes, yes, we are good enough. Yesterday, I'm sitting there watching my son on the soccer field. And his eyes should be directed constantly, constantly at the coach. And every time I looked at him while he was playing goalie, where was his eyes? They're on me. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, the ball, punt it, go. But why was he looking at me? Because every once in a while, Dalton knows that I'm going to do this. And you know what that means to him? He's good enough. When God is telling us we are redeemed, that is him giving us the thumbs up. You are good enough. But the only way that you are good enough is because what Jesus has done in you. It's not about you. It's all about him. So in just those three things, the inheritance, the rescue, and the redemption, let me ask you this. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Do these thoughts even pass your mind on a daily basis of what he has already done for you? And if those three things 
where the only thing that he ever did for you, is that enough? And the next thing he wants to remind us of is he wants to remind us of the unity of God in Christ. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. And I want you to understand something real quick about this because we see language spoken like this in Genesis 1, chapter 27. But the word image in Genesis 1, 27 is completely different from the word that is used here. The word that is used in Genesis 1 is salim, which means a resemblance. We are made in a resemblance of God. But the word that is used here is ikon, which means exact likeness. Christ is the exact likeness, the exact person of God. And you know, this is important. Because this is where the comparison between us and other religions come in. I don't know if you're aware of this, but 90% of the religions out there acknowledge that Jesus was a person on this earth. Some ascribe him, even Islam, ascribe him as one of the greatest prophets of all. Hindu, Gandhi, he was even one who said that he loved the man of Jesus. He said, I just don't like his followers that much. That ought to stab a, heart in, a stab knife in your heart. But all religions acknowledge that Jesus exists. The only difference is those other religions don't acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but by him because he and the Father are one. Going back to that rescue part, and I know I've said this before, and I'll say it as many times as I need to say it until it sinks in. When God knew that we needed a rescue, He didn't send a missionary, He didn't send a preacher, He didn't send a prophet, He didn't send just any man. When God knew we needed a rescue, he came his self. No other religion out there has a salvation like this. He is the image of God. By him, all things were created and he is before all things. And I said this in my prayer. Most of the time when we look at this, we see this scripture as saying that him being before all things is that he is eternal. Because see, even us, we have a messed up mindset of eternal. Eternal in our mindset is from the day that we were born to the day that we are with him. And then it's forever from there. But eternal is actually more than that. Eternal is meaning always been. 
He has always been. There has been no other but him. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of the Lords, the Alpha, the Omega. He is the one who brought all of this about. But the other part that we really need to take from this when he says he is before all things is that means that he is the supremacy in our life. That he is the most important thing in our lives. I can't always say that. Just being real with you. Even as a pastor, I can't say that he has always been the most important thing in my life. Even on a daily basis, I struggle trying to fix problems that only God can fix. Anybody else wrestle with that? Even in my own being, I struggle with other things taking more important roles than him. And as believers, we got to be careful with this. Because our spouses, they are a good gift of God. Even our children, our children are a good gift of God. Our families, some of our families, are a good gift of God. Our church is a good gift of God. Our work, a good gift of God. Our possessions, a good gift of God. Our abilities, a good gift of God. But are they God? No. No. And that's where this comparison really starts creeping in. And this is where it gets really dangerous. A couple of weeks ago, we had the pastor come me, speaking to us. And it's always strange for me to hear about these pastors talk about idol worship, that they had house idols. Because to me, in my mind, we don't have no house idols. We don't. I mean, my wife has a couple of pictures on the wall and I'm not allowed to touch them. I'd like to take every one of them down. She's not here, so I can say that. But I'm not allowed to touch them. But I don't even consider those house idols. But even though we don't acknowledge these things as house idols, when we make them more important than God, that's exactly what they are. Checkup. Do you spend more time with your hobby than you do with God? If so, it's an idol. Do you spend more time with your TV, especially during football season? Mm, that hurts. Than you do with God? If so, it's an idol. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Do you put your kids before God? Because if you do, they're an idol. Do you put your spouse before God? Because if so, they too are an idol. 
This is where it gets deep. This is where the Word of God starts cutting deep in our life. Because we need to ask ourselves this question. Is He before all things in our life? Because if not, well, you know the answer. It goes on to say that he is the head of the body. And all this is saying was, is Paul was trying to tell the people of Colossae that, the, that Jesus Christ was the one who dictated the church. And that's a strong word to use. But we allow things to dictate our life on a daily basis. I allow my attitude to dictate my life on a daily basis. How about y'all? I can wake up in a great mood and one little thing can happen and the rest of the day is just shot. You know what I mean? But Christ is the head over the church. And when it comes to external influences coming into the church, we have to be on guard of this. We have, that's why we have to be on guard of politics. And I know there is a fine line because some political issues are not political issues. They're biblical issues. But when we allow our politics to define the way we run the church, we've lost it. We've lost it because Christ is the head of the church. When we allow our ways of, that we do things, because this is a big thing in the church world of how you do things. And I hear this all the time. I like this church because they do things this way. I like this church because they do things this way. I like this church because they do things this way. You know what? I like our church because we try to do things Christ's way. And it doesn't always please man. But you know who we're not trying to please? We're not trying to please man. We're trying to please the head of the church. And that is why we try to be as cautious about the decisions that we make. But he goes on to say, and I'm going to start closing out on this last point, that he made peace through the blood of his cross. Been hearing it talk about a lot, and you have too. about the desire for peace, especially with what's going on with Israel. But the other day when I was reading this, and it just so happened I got to, through reading about an article about what's going on in Gaza and everything, about how, you know, people have their opinions about what's taking place. If you want to know my opinion, it's Israel's land. God give it to them. He's the one who set the parameters, nobody else. But when I read this, it reminded me of something. That there is never peace without bloodshed. We don't understand why wars take place. But a lot of times the wars that take place are for the ultimate goal of peace. And when those wars take place, blood is shed. Draw this parallel. For us to really have peace with God, what had to be shed? It's inevitable. 
without the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, we would never be at peace with him. We may never be at peace with this world. Y'all know that, right? Younger generations, listen to me. You will most likely never be at peace with this world. But ultimately, the peace that you're looking for does not come from this world. The peace that you're looking for is between you and God. Don't minimize it. We need it. We long for it. And many today all around the world are crying out for it. So some of you are probably thinking to yourself, this is about the only place that I've really wrote down what I think word for word. Some of you are probably thinking to yourself, thanks for the refresher, Scotty. But why do we need to know this? What did Paul say in verse 12? Giving thanks to the Father. How thankful are you? Has your thankfulness been put in a direction that it really shouldn't be put? I'm thankful for all that my wife does. I'm thankful for my kids, but who give them to me? I'm thankful for this position that I have. I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand before you, to preach his word, to love on you, to shepherd you. But again, y'all voted me in, but ultimately, who give it to me? I'm thankful for the opportunity that we had to praise and worship this morning. And I'm thankful for the voices of these people and how they work hard. Even on Wednesday nights, y'all don't realize it. They're up here working tirelessly to help lead our hearts to an attitude of true worship to Him. But who gave them that talent? Who gave Tommy that ability to lead? Who gave Christy the ability to play? Who gave Melissa the voice that she has? Where is our thankfulness directed? Isaiah 40 verse 18 says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with Him? And then again in Isaiah 46 verse 5, He says, To whom would you liken me? Or make me equal and compare me? That they would be alike. Christ is incomparable. You can't compare him to anything else on this earth. His love is greater than anything we will experience here. His graciousness is greater than any graciousness that we will experience here. His hospitality, his his forgiveness is greater than anything else that we will experience here. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalms 40 verse 5, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I were to declare them, they would be 
too numerous to count. Here's my challenge to you. In everybody's Bible, I love it. They always put some blank pages in here. You just got them too? So starting now, through the whole month of November, I want you to start counting your blessings. I want you to take time in your day to really start counting your blessings. And I want you to see if you can number them. Because even if we start writing them down in these blank pieces of paper in our Bible, I don't think there's enough room. Because every day that we wake up, it is another gift. Every breath that we draw at somewhere around the neighborhood of 40 to 50 breaths a minute, that's another blessing. Every heartbeat, depending on your age, from 60 to 80, if it's above that, you need to go see a doctor quick. That's another blessing. Every day at work, no matter how horrible it is, it's another blessing. Another day with your kids, they're numbered, they're limited, but it's still another blessing. Another sunrise or another sunset that you see is still another blessing. Another day with one of your elderly loved ones is another blessing. And I've got to confess to you, I take most of these blessings for granted every day. True gratitude towards God is making Him the most important thing in your life. Pray with me. Father, this is hard because too many times, Lord, I'm preaching to myself right now. Father, I pray that you would help me to guard myself against comparing anything to you. I pray that you would help me, Lord, to get rid of all those things that stop me from being grateful. My pride, my jealousy, my bitterness, my anger. Father, I pray that you would help us enter this season of thanksgiving, not with just good heart and a good attitude, but with a true heart of gratitude for what you have done. You, Lord, you are incomparable. And you, Lord, are the only one deserving of our glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As they come this morning and as you stand, maybe this morning your heart's been convicted just by how ungrateful you have been. 
And maybe this ungratefulness is shown in a lot of different ways. Because you know, when we're not, un- when we're not grateful for what we have, a lot of times we take it out on our families. A lot of times we take it out on the ones that we love the most. So maybe this morning, maybe you need to ask God to remove that pride, that bitterness, that jealousy, or even that hurt. This morning as they play, you're invited to come forward and lay it down at the altar. But I want to challenge you on this. If you lay something down on this altar, please don't pick it up when you leave. When you lay it down, you are surrendering it to Him. It is His. Let Him have it. For some of you, you may realize that you're not at peace with God. That there is a separation between you and God. And you know that separation is your sin. You know that your sin is what has created this great gulf of expanse between you and God. But I want you to understand something. The blood of Jesus' cross built a bridge that goes from one side to the other. And that God loved you so much that he was not even willing to spare his only begotten son so that if you would believe in him, you will have peace. You will have everlasting life. This morning, if that is you, I'm gonna be standing right over here. I invite you, come see me. But as they sing, this isn't just a time for us to sit and think. This is a time for us to respond. And as they play and as they sing, you respond to God as he calls you. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in his glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.